This is considered the most evil thing that a single individual has ever done in the Bible. The story of Naboth. And for us, it would think like, yeah, it's evil, but it's not that bad. It is. It is that bad. So Ahab's not yet dead. So he's going to continue to do his thing. Now notice that the last verse said that he went back. Another way, of, a better way of saying is sullen and angry. Like, oh man, this is like you think you got away with it and you're all that awesome and everything and everybody thinks you're so cool as a little kid and you really impressed everybody and the mom and dad catch you and right in front of all your friends that you just really impressed, they like lay into you and scold you and then they humiliate you and then they ground you for like months and everything and you have to walk back to the house knowing that all your friends just watched this happen to you after you did this really cool thing that impressed them all and your disobedience. The king has been brought low like a little child going back home, sullen and angry. Because what is he going to do? This is the divine God of the universe. I mean, normally you go home and kick your brother. But, and that's what he's going to do. He's going to kick Naboth. You, you know, dictators are usually just overgrown, spoiled little brats. Chapter 21, verse 1. After this, the following episode took place. The narrator directly connects these two events. The narrator directly connects these two events. Naboth, the Jezreelite, owned a vineyard in Jezreel adjacent to the place of the king Ahab in Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard so I can make a vegetable garden out of it, for it is adjacent to the palace, and I will give you an even better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I will pay you silver for it. Now, you have to appreciate what's going on. Samaria, the city of Samaria, it says Jezreel in Samaria, but Samaria is also like the region. But Samaria is his palace. That's his palace. But in Jezreel is his summer home. So this is his second house. And as he looks out his window, he sees this vineyard belonging to Naboth. And this vineyard, as Naboth will say, has been in his family for generations. And he looks at the vineyard and he says, wow, that would make a really good garden. And not only that, vegetables. I want to like take it and tear up all this vineyard and plant my vegetable garden. So he's really only thinking about himself. This is the garden for his summer home. There's two things going on. First, his offer to pay for it or relocate um, Naboth is not an evil thing. God never forbids the selling of your land. As long as you acknowledge that in the year of Jubilee, 50 years later, all lands revert back to original owners. But he does say this interesting. He says, I want to tear down your vineyard. The word vineyard here is connected to the Deuteronomic promises of God providing fruit and blessings of abundance to those who are obedient to the covenant. And it's an idea that every member of Israel who's obedient to God will rest their head under the vineyard. And that's the word, that's the exact phrase used here when it says he wanted the vineyard. Basically, he wants the thing that has provided rest and abundance of life for Naboth because he's obedient to the Deuteronomic covenant. He wants to replace it with a vegetable garden. And the only other time that you've ever seen that 
is when the people of Israel, after they came out of Egypt as slaves, they said, we don't believe we can take the promised land. We don't believe that God actually wants to take care of us. We want to go back to Egypt where we're eating vegetables from the vegetable garden. It's the only other time that that phrase is ever used. So even though um, Ahab is not doing anything necessarily illegal, what the narrator is showing you is that in his heart, though, he is, has ill intent in mind. He sees what he wants, and he's going to take it. But Naboth replied to Ahab, Yahweh forbid that I should sell you my ancestral inheritance. Now, this is what Naboth is saying. This is the land that was given to me by Yahweh. Yahweh allotted land to all the 12 tribes and the families within the tribes. And in Joshua, Joshua distributed that land after we obediently and successfully did the conquest. This land has been in my family since then. Since 1406, and now we're in the 800s, this land has been in my family, given to me by Yahweh. Basically, remember, all the way back into Genesis, only God created the land. Therefore, only God has control over the land. Therefore, only God can place you in the land and take you out of the land. And only God can give them the land that each tribe was deserving when he gave them the promised land through the conquest. And so basically to take land from somebody is to place yourself above Yahweh. Everybody knows in the Deuteronomic law, only Yahweh has the right to give to take land away. And everybody knows in the Deuteronomic law that if you take land from somebody, buy it, then you must give it back in the year of Jubilee. But if you tear up their vineyards... You're not giving back land. Because here's the thing. I'm not an expert on vineyards, but from what I've understood, vineyards are very multi-generational to get to a point where they produce good wine. It can take, it can take years before a vineyard actually begins to produce grapes. And vineyards are one of those things, if you see grapevines and out in the woods and that kind of stuff, you don't usually see grapes. Because it's one of those plants that actually requires humans pruning them to actually produce fruit and to improve the quality of the fruit. And it can lit- and this is why wine is so expensive. And this is why you go and watch these shows or movies or you go to wine testing or you might actually visit a vineyard one day and these vineyards have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years and the higher quality of the wine comes from vineyards like in France that have been around for hundreds of years in the same family. Because it takes years for them to produce grapes, years of pruning before the grapes are actually mature enough to produce wine and then years of pruning to get the wine to the point that it is. So we're talking about a multi-generational thing that his family has been investing in. So God gave this to his family. This is his family's land. They have worked generational after generation pruning this thing, and he's going to undo all that with a vegetable garden. This is not a land that's going to return back to him ever, ever. And here's the other thing that's different. For you and I, we buy and sell land, no big deal. I mean, yes, it's one of the most stressful things you'll ever do, moving, but it's still a no big deal thing because it happens so much in America over and over and over again. But for them, this is their inheritance. This is their 401k and their checking account and everything. This is, and if they don't have this land for their children, their children will basically be sold into slavery. 
because there is literally nothing for them. There's no such thing as welfare, bankruptcy, Social Security, retirement funds, no nothing. It is literally the land that you were given. And so what Ahab is saying is, I don't care about your inheritance. I don't care about your work. I don't care about your children. I don't care about what God wants for you. I want it. This is what makes it so evil, is because he is placing himself above God, and he's stealing the inheritance that only God can give from all the generations to come. And he's going to kill somebody in the land, just like Cain killed his brother for it as well. And what makes it evil is not just a sin. It's a, I am superior to Yahweh sin. And that's how everybody would interpret this. So verse 4, Ahab went back to his palace, sullen and angry. The same exact phrase from the first one, which means that he is still in that sulken mood. These events are directly connected. That Naboth the Jezreel said to him, I will not sell your land and ancestral inheritance. He lay down on his bed and pouted and would not eat. Then his wife Jezreel came in and said to him, Why do you have a bitter attitude and refuse to eat? He answered her, While I was talking to Naboth the Jezreelite, I said to him, Sell me your vineyard of silver, and if you prefer, I will give it another vineyard at this place. But he said, I will not sell you my vineyard. His wife Jezebel said, You are the king of Israel. Get up and eat some food and have a good time. I will get the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite for you. Ahab is really, truly deep down inside a pathetic soul, touting as a grown man, or he's really facing the depression of what God has now judged on him, or some scholars have interpreted that he might be a master manipulator. We've never seen him pout like this before. And we've never seen him really, really balk like that. Even when Ben-Hadad with the most superior army ever came and said, give me everything and I'm going to search it, he said, no. Yet now he's like crying and pouting from Naboth. It could be that he is manipulating his wife in order to get her hands bloody instead of his. Now, we don't know for sure. That's one of those gray areas. He could literally be pouting as a pathetic soul, or he could be manipulating. But the fact that we've never seen this behavior before this or after this, and he has no problem shaking his fist at God and disobeying him, in the process, he's putting himself above God. And even when God prophesies he's going to die in battle later, he says, I'll show you, God. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to not die. We've never seen him really balk like this, but we've also never seen him get his hands dirty directly. And it was not uncommon for kings to have henchmen to do it for them. And Jezebel has no problem blooding in her hands. So he's like, well, she can do it. So we don't know. I don't know. But just realize that there are two possible interpretations here that we can understand. So she wrote out orders, signed Ahab's name to them, and sealed them with the seal. She then sent the orders to the leaders and to the nobles who lived in Naboth's city. This is what she wrote. Observe a time of fasting and seat Naboth in front of the people as a place of honor. Also to seat two scoundrels opposite of him and have them testify, you curse God and king. Then take him out and stone him to death. That is messed up. 
It's like, let's have a birthday party for Naboth in front of the entire city and honor him as an amazing man so that we can just betray him at his own birthday party and stone him to death. That is so messed up. Why is she going about this way? Why didn't she just kill him? Because here's the thing. It is punishable by death to blasphemy God. Now, there's nothing in the law that says it's punishable by death to blasphemy the king, but it was in the ancient world. So between the fact that the law says if you blaspheme God is punishable by death and the other nations believe it to the king as well and they're acting like the other nations, those are probably merged together in Israelite thinking. But if you just kill them, so you, so you have to have, now there's nobody who's a good person who would say, I heard him blasphemy God. But it has to be public. The idea is it has to be public. And here's why. If you just kill him, punishable for blasphemy, the land reverts to his children. But if the children are publicly humiliated along with their father, like that's your father who just did that, and that's your father who got stoned, and a culture that's a lot more community-oriented than we are, and an honor culture too, that if your father and mother are shamed, then every generation after that is also shamed, which is more like what it is in the East today. Then, not only that, if you blaspheme God in front of this, then, in that idea, with the king, it's treason. And in treason, the land reverts to the king. So this isn't just about killing him. You have to ruin the entire family and humiliate them so bad that nobody in this city would ever want to fight your case that the children deserve to get the land even though the dad has died. There's no lawyer. There's nobody. Everybody's closing their shutters on the window, so to speak. Like, you know that this person's innocent, they're being abused and mistreated as you're watching the movie, and everybody in their shops and stores and homes know that they're not guilty and they're being abused and mistreated, but nobody wants to take up their cause and face the corrupt government, and so they all close their shutters in a very guilty way, like, I don't want to help you because I don't want to die, but I know you're innocent and guilty, but I'm not going to see you happen because then I don't have to feel like I did anything wrong. And that's the idea. That's what Jezebel is creating here. That's what Jezebel is creating here. The men of the city, verse 11, and the leaders of the nobles who live there follow the right, written orders of Jezebel. This is the bad thing. The leaders did it. They're corrupt. They know this is all a lie because she told them it's a lie. Yet they're doing it for money. They observed a time of fasting and put Naboth in front of the people. And the two villains arrived and sat opposite them. Then the villains testified against Naboth right before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they dragged him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they reported to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up, take possession of the vineyard. Naboth the Jezreelite refused to sell you for silver, for Naboth is no longer alive. He's dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up, went down, take possession of the vineyard, and Naboth the Jezreelite. The fact that there's no hesitation on his part means that he might have knew this was going to happen all along. This is evil. Everything about this is evil. Absolutely evil. Now Elijah does come in for a brief moment. Verse 17. Yahweh told Elijah. Now, my guess is the reason now that Elijah's using being God's using Elijah. Hey Elijah, this happened. 
because you didn't do what you're supposed to. Now go judge him. And as you're judging him, remember, it's your fault too. That's my guess. I don't know for a fact. I'm not going to say that that's the point the Bible is making, but he hasn't been there and he's not going to really be there after this, but he's here for this. It's almost like, yeah, I don't know. That's my guess. Get up and go down and meet King Ahab of Israel, who lives in Samaria. He is in the vineyard of Naboth. He has gone down there to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what Yahweh says. Haven't you committed murder and taken possession of the property of the deceased? Then say to them, this is what Yahweh says. And the spot where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, they will also lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Now remember, dogs are more like wild animal wolves. So basically the idea is you're going to die in the same place that Naboth was killed. When Elijah arrived, Ahab said to him, So you have found me, my enemy. Elijah replied, I have found you, because you are committed to doing evil in the sight of Yahweh. And Yahweh says, Look, I am ready to bring disaster on you, and I will destroy you and cut off every last male belonging to Ahab in Israel, including even the weak and the incapacitated. I will make your dynasty like those of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you angered me and made Israel sin. Yahweh says this about Jezebel. Now Jezebel is also included. Now here's what's interesting. We haven't seen God prophesying the wiping out of a whole family in a long time because Ahab's story has lasted so long. But now we're reminded we're picking right up where we left with the other kings. You're all going to die. But all those kings, it was always males. But Jezebel is so evil, she's going to be included with the males. Yahweh says about Jezebel, dogs will devour Jezebel by the outer wall of Jezreel. As for Ahab's family, dogs will eat his bone, his, eat the ones who die in the city, and the birds of the sky will eat the ones who die in the country. There had never been anyone like Ahab who was so firmly committed to doing evil in the sight of Yahweh, urged on by his wife Jezebel. He was so wicked, he worshipped the disgusting idols, just like the Amorites, whom Yahweh had driven out before the Israelites. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he fasted. He sat in the sackcloth and walked around dejected. Yahweh said to Elijah the Tishbite, Have you noticed how Ahab shows remorse before me? Because he shows remorse before me, I will not bring disaster on his dynasty during his lifetime, but during the reign of his son. Now once again, just like we saw earlier with Jeroboam saying, Kill the prophet. Now we have the same thing. This guy is absolutely evil. It just got done saying there was no one as evil as him. And to him and Jezebel together were an incredible duo. And he just was pronounced a death sentence on his entire family for his sins. And then he begins to cry, and he's, he's depressed, and he's sad, and he shows remorse. And God comes in and doesn't overturn the judgment, but says, but it won't happen in his lifetime. He doesn't repent. He hasn't changed. In the very next story, he shows that he hasn't changed. Yet God has compassion on him and shows mercy to one of the most evil men that has ever lived in the leadership of Israel, ever. That's incredible. This is what I tell my students all the time. If you ever think that you are so sinful that God can never forgive you, redeem you, or use you, then my goodness, you need to read this Bible. There's none of us have ever gotten anywhere close to these figures. And yet God is showing compassion and mercy 
to people who are not even repenting. They're just showing remorse. They're sorry. They're upset and they're sad, but they're not really repenting and they're not turning away from their sins. And yet God still shows mercy. This is incredible. This is the love of God. I don't know how anybody reads this Bible, truly reads it, and comes away thinking God is evil, mean, vindictive, cruel God that's just out to kill people, like the media portrays him. I can get that if you just, like, hear a story. But when you really read these things verse by verse by verse, you're like, nobody has this kind of patience for anybody in their life. And we don't even deal with Ahab's. So this is judgment. He's going to die. But once again, it's delayed. 